You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Haps and Minded. My name is Jared Book. Before we get into the episode, just a note that we alluded to earlier on social media and with the subscription delay from last week, we'll be starting Eyes on the Prize Radio, which will have a collection of various podcasts, including Haps and Minded that you're listening to now. We aren't entirely sure of what other podcasts will come of it, but you can be sure they will be focused on all of the things that Eyes on the Prize focuses on, whether it be the AHL, Europe, prospects, women's hockey, and beyond. We'll also have probably some interviews. Uh, I know Patrick will will have some interviews from his uh, escapades in Europe as well. And it'll be a lot of fun and a lot more content uh, for you to listen to and not just read uh, on Eyes on the Prize. There's no action needed from you, our subscribers, unless you only subscribed with SoundCloud. Since our episode will no longer be, be hosted there, You'll need to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. If you already subscribe, you'll be automatically get all of EOTP's episodes, and no action needs to be taken. Now that that's out of the way, we have three people joining me today on Hapsent Minded. And because I like to do things random, let's go from west to east. And the person who woke up earliest for this podcast, Namiko Hitotsubashi. Namiko, how are you? I'm good and chugging tea in hopes to wake up enough to be useful on this podcast. <laughs> we also have Julian McKenzie, who is making his second appearance on the podcast. Welcome, Julian. Hey, thanks uh, for having me, guys. Uh, I woke up a couple hours ago and got an Uber back home to do this because uh, I'm tired of missing out on these podcasts. So hopefully uh, the third appearance will be uh, in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, and we're going to have more content, so we'll, you'll be able to make one of the episodes that we do <laughs> at some point, I'm sure. And last but not least, uh, we have Patrick Vexel. He uh, joins us mid, mid-afternoon and mid-wicket. Is that the right term, Patrick? Yeah, well, it's it's uh, the second innings of the World Cup final in uh, cricket against uh, New Zealand and England. And, uh, well, I, my friends are watching, so if there's some cheering, it just happened actually when we started this that it was some cheering because New Zealand got another wicket. So it's uh, it's kind of interesting. I'm sitting on the on the veranda and it's, uh, yeah, 20, 25 degrees and I'm having two cold beers in front of me. So I'm not sure what I'm going to say today. <laughs> <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere. Just, just not, not where we are. <laughs> it's actually twenty past five. <laughs> is, is it that late? I, I didn't realize it was that late. Yeah, I need to work on my my time zones. I think a little bit. It's six hours between Quebec and and Sweden. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, I, I don't know why. We usually do this earlier, right? So I, I think that's what what's messing with my head. But let, let's talk about the uh, the big news out of the Montreal sports scene, and that is the mess that is the Montreal Alouettes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm, You're I'm kidding. All on uh, your obviously, own there, dude. I don't know anything. About that. <laughs> hey, Julian can help. Julian can help me with that one. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, obviously, the Alouettes fired their general manager uh, just a few hours ago, uh, as we're recording this on Sunday. So, no, that was a little Montreal sports humor. 
although most of us are not in Montreal. So anyway, uh, <laughs> but after the rumors um, surrounding the Montreal Canadiens from last week, and there were there were a bunch of whispers and, and rumors around the Canadians, it was more of a house cleaning week for Mark Bergevin this week. He he got Arturi Lekkinen signed. He got UL Army assigned to two-year contracts. And basically all of his house cleaning is, is done, assuming that, that Charles Houdon will probably go to arbitration. Uh, he obviously still has Michael McCarron to sign as well, but pretty much all the house cleaning is done. We'll, we'll start with Namiko. Namiko, what were your thoughts when, when you saw the contract signed? Well, as a well-known and unapologetic Arturi Lekkonen fan, I was very glad that he was back um, and that we didn't have to sit there going, oh, they're going to arbitration. What's that going to do? What's going to happen? So it was, I was very happy that that, that that happened very quickly and relatively painlessly compared to some of the arbitrations we've seen in the past years. Personally, would have liked to have it go be a longer contract, but I think it makes sense because he's had... Uh, a couple rough seasons, so it makes sense that they would maybe give him a shorter contract and then either sign him once we figure out exactly what he is or let him go. Alas, please don't do that. Uh, at the end, if it turns out that he's not what we hope he could possibly be. so Yeah, I think in, in, with uh, the Canadians getting the job done with, with Lekin and, and, and Armia, I think Armia is a player who you can more or less kind of slot in different parts of your of your lineup and he's proven at various points last season that he can be a very useful player you don't have to rely on him as a primary scorer of course uh but he's a guy who can do a lot of the little things for your team uh, i like the contract for him i'm very intrigued about Arturi Lekkonen. I, I, I we all know uh, his struggles were very well documented last season and i think he understands that he has a lot to prove for next season so I think it's a contract, in my opinion, where if he continues at the pace where he's at now, where he'll get 11 to 12 goals in a season, uh, uh, there are worse contracts you could dole out for a player like that. If Arturi Lekkonen all of a sudden starts giving you 20 goals, somehow 25 goals within that stretch of time, that looks like a, a bargain, pretty much, yeah. right? And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I do have Cap Friendly in front of me here, but uh, he could he's a, an RFA at the end of his deal in 2022. So uh, I was just going to go, go there, but yeah. thank you for taking it, Julian. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think for more so for Arturi than Yoel, this kind of seems like a, like a prove-it deal in a way. Uh, it's not a lot of money, uh, but I think for Arturi, this is an opportunity for him to just kind of show out in the next two seasons. And after that, you know, if he really feels he could be a six, $7 million player, uh, if that he somehow blossoms into that type of player, which maybe the expectations aren't as high for him to do so, then he could, he could definitely ask for that. But uh, I think it's one of those things where if he continues at his pace, 2.4 million a year, AAV, that's a lot easier to swallow versus giving him 3 million, 4 million. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, I think it's a, a proven contract, just as you say, Julian. I think uh, both team, both parts should be very happy with the Lekkonen contract. Lekkonen as well. I know how much he he likes being in in, in Montreal. And uh, I'm going to die on this hill. And I know at least Namiko is going to back me up all the time. So, so it's great. But uh, for, for me that has seen him grow into the player that he is today, I don't think everyone was so focused on points and assists last year. 
And I think both uh, Claude Julien and Marc Bergevin understood uh, the work that he put in to let uh, Kotkaniemi shine and adapt into the NHL role. I don't think Kotkaniemi would have succeeded as well as he could, uh, as he did uh, at the start of the season without the help of, of Lekkonen, not only off the ice, but also Lekkonen had the same role the first year he arrived at Frelunda, and and he took the defensive responsibility and he has the hockey IQ to do that. He's not just a shooter or a target player. He can do it all. I know players here in Frelunda that still speaks about how versatile Lekkonen was and that he can be used in so many different situations. Uh, on the on the box play, on the power play, uh, different roles uh, on the five on five, uh, on equal strength, four by four or three on three. You know, uh, people are still here saying how good of a hockey sense he has, and I think this is what he was rewarded for. And obviously, a two year contract, as as Julian said, and as as Namiko has said, it's great because he is an RFA at the end of it, um, and and no matter how it pans out. He might get three next uh, uh, with the next contract, even if he continues this thing, because he's going to be able to be at the fourth line and help out the rookies, because he's going to be a, a seasoned veteran, if, if that's the case, uh, with a lot of upside. You can you can chug in on the on the second line, and he won't disappoint because he will still bring his work ethic. He will still and if and I'm saying this if because he has one of the best shots I've seen in SHL, um, if he can bring that to score again. It will benefit both him and Montreal, and then, as Julian said as well, if if he gets to that twenty points, you know, he 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 will shine. And the fact is that Montreal hasn't really given him the time to shine either, because he is a playoff performer, and Montreal hasn't reached the playoff yet, or, or they did. And 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 uh, at that, when when Montreal reached the playoffs, it was him and Radulov that was the star players uh, point wise um, in the team. And you know, you got to remember that his first year was very good, um, uh, and and then he has had a lot more defensive responsibilities. But he's also shown in the playoffs when no one else could step up. Arthur Lekkonen did. It was him and Radulov. And let's not lose the other guy that was actually successful that playoff. As somebody who made their name on and lived and died on the Lars Eller is a valuable player to this team. I'm definitely behind you. <laughs> Just want to say though, uh, you know who else was waiting for the playoffs to show out as a playoff performer? Jonathan Drouin. Enough said. Well, the, the Patrick's point, uh, the 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 sixteen seventeen playoffs, the the six game series loss to the Rangers. Uh, Radulov led the team in points with two goals, five assists, and second place Arturi mm-hmm. Lekkinen with two goals, two assists uh, in those six games. He was the only player besides Radulov to get more than one goal. In that series, everyone else was stuck at one: Gallagher, Weber, Buchanan, and and to, to to go off the Jonathan Drouin point, he hasn't gotten to the playoffs yet for Montreal. So you know he he is a guy who might be able to 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 take that next step as well. Obviously, you know someone who's been as inconsistent as Drouin is, you know you, you never know when he's going to get hot, and if he gets hot in the right time then that could be uh, a difference maker for Montreal. And just to to go off of that point, Lekkinen did that scoring despite averaging less than seven forwards on the team. 
Pachoretti, Radulov, Gallagher, Byron, Dano, Galchenyuk, and all had more ice time average than him. Brian Flynn had the same average ice time as him. So that kind of goes, he had more ice time actually than Andrew Shaw. Uh, and obviously Andrew Shaw was brought in to be a playoff performer. Uh, Shaw had no points in that playoff series. But uh, again, obviously Lekkinen, and we saw him step up at the end of the season as well. Uh, he had that big game uh, where he was the first star of the game, then said that they're going to make the playoffs, which obviously didn't come uh, as truthful as he would have liked. <laughs> but uh, he did have big games down the stretch as well. He played his best hockey down the stretch for the Canadians. And and Yoel Armia, I mean, he's a guy that you need to have on this team. And if you figure he can probably play the same kind of role that Andrew Shaw did, at much less money than Andrew Shaw was going to make. Uh, and I think the big thing with these contracts is the two-year term. And it has been talked about a little bit about that 2021-22 offseason, which is when these contracts expire. The Canadians are only going to have 10 players wow. under contract. It opens you up for lots of options heading into the CBA. Here are the players who are signed for 2021-22. Jonathan Drouin, Paul Byron. You have Shea Weber, Alsner, Ben Sherratt, and Brett Kulak. So you have four defenders. And then prospect-wise, you have Nick Suzuki, Joel Teasdale, and Josh Brook. Obviously, I expect other players to be added to that. Brendan Gallagher becomes an unrestricted free agent that season. I expect him to get a contract. Philip Deneau, also. Uh, Thomas Tatar, who knows? Uh, probably not, uh, given the way the prospect pool is going. Jeff Petrie becomes an unrestricted free agent. He might get a new deal. But obviously, Max Domi is an unrestricted free agent after this coming season. He's obviously going to get a new contract as well. So that's going to raise that number a little bit. But you can see that Mark Bergman is positioning himself to be like, okay, something's going to happen this offseason. We want to be positioned. and it opens up situations because if Paling and Suzuki and Kotkaniemi are NHL centers, you don't need to pay Philip Dano a big contract in his next term. So it, it, it gives you options where you don't position yourself to have too many players and you have to unload salaries or contracts. And I think that that's why the Andrew Shaw trade shouldn't be judged based on what has been done this offseason. It's the $3.9 million for the next three years where this is going to become relevant, not necessarily for this coming season. One thing that has to be said, though, about that year with all those players left, uh, where all those players are going to be uh, going to be more or less off that cap, depending on whatever happens, they're still going to have Carey Price and, and Shea Weber's salaries tied uh, to them, obviously. Carey Price at that 10.5 and Shea Weber at that 7.8 plus. Uh, and I'm very curious what they'll do with those sal- Jeez, Carl Alsner's not even a UFA till 2022. Like, I mean, they buy him <laughs> out by then? I'm not sure, but that is just crazy. Uh, but, like, that, that's another big thing, too. At least with depending on how those prospects go, they could take up some of that space up on that cap. Uh, but by then, uh, I don't know. I, I think with the fact that those two salaries are still going to command a lot of space, that's still quite a bit. And we don't know. With I've, I mean, I'm not a capologist. I'm not a salary gap expert, but I'm not 
going to be able – I'm not confident or I'm not able to, to project whether or not the salary cap will go up in that year or if they'll have, the Canadians will actually have less to play with in that year. So depending on, on the contracts that they do give out with to, to, to Max Domi, depending on what Brennan Gallagher might want, you know, there's still a lot of things that kind of need to be played out in terms of the salary gap. But I, uh, but if you think about it also, you see what Arizona does and what other teams does. They take on a bad contract for, for a prospect in, in return. And if all the prospects, because let's face it, we're sitting with top 25, 125, and I, know I had trouble. I, I had to think over two days to, to sort it out in my head, and I'm still not convinced that I did it right. But there is a lot of pro- prospects, and there won't be space for all of them mm-hmm. in Montreal if everyone pans out. And, and it looks very good right now. And, and with the... Uh, that means that you could probably, you know, ship off Alsner with with one of the prospects, or or, or uh, maybe even an added pick if if it's necessary. With a new CBA, and whether there's a lockout or not, there will be a new CBA. History suggests there'll be a compliance buyout period, and then you can get rid of that Carl Alsner contract without any penalty. That's very fair. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that's going to happen, but the last two CBAs had that happen with a compliance buy, buyout. And we're able to uh, get rid of contracts without any penalty. So by that point, you can you know get rid of that contract without a penalty. Uh, that that could be even better. And obviously, there there's scenarios where it does make sense. Um, but that that's one where it will make sense no matter what. If you can get rid of a bad contract without having to have a cap hit against it or trade an asset with it, uh, that's always something to look forward to. And uh, again, there's no nothing to suggest that it will absolutely be a window for that. But the last two lockouts, a new CVAs had that provision in there. So make of that as you will. It's such a nice problem to have contemplating, oh no, we're going to have too many prospects if they all pan out. Like That was one of the things that I was the most jealous about watching Toronto rebuild and just <laughs> their wealth of prospects. And as we've seen, they have since had to trade some of them away because they had so many of them. But just the thought that that could be a thing in our future makes me very happy. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll use that to segue a little bit uh, as we're talking about prospects and, and things like that into this year's Montreal Canadiens, because that's, that's something that, you know, you can look long-term and we will later in the podcast, but at a certain point, this team isn't really much better than it ended last season with. And, that is maybe a little bit concerning when you look at what has happened around them. Uh, Philadelphia looks to be better. New Jersey looks to be better. Florida looks to be better. And those are three teams that didn't even make the playoffs last year. Never mind teams like Carolina, who Carolina looks to be better. The Rangers, obviously, I, I forgot about them. They look to be left better as well this year. And you can say that, yeah, Columbus is probably going to be worse. And yeah, the, you know, Pittsburgh might be in trouble to make the playoffs, but I'll never bet against a team that has Sidney Crosby. Um, they, they always find a way to sneak in. Do you think that Mark Bergevin will do something else? And do you think he has to do something else? We'll make it a two-part question. I think he will. Uh, but I think it will ha- wait. He, essentially, you will have um, a game of Survivor come training camp. And after that, he will be in the driving seat because he can get rid of, of, of players either by sending them down to Laval or, or they've been picked up of waivers, et cetera, et cetera. And that will give him cap space to do something more. That's how I see it. 
I feel as if recent history has shown us that around this time, unless he, he finds some other bit player to add to the HL, I think he's done. I don't see him adding another player of significance. And if I think if he would have to, he would have to be through trade. I don't see him trying the offer sheet route, whether for a big-time player or for a smaller player. I think the next bit of business he has to kind of handle is, is figuring out Charles Rudeau and Michael McCarron situations. And uh, I think after that, with the way the, the roster is kind of set right now, uh, I think Bergevin is probably going to count on the fact that with the team that they had, they had the season that they had, and they were nearly a playoff team, and they'll try to push forward with that. Unless he gets blown away with some offer uh, for a trade. Also, if Bergevin finds himself in a position where he is willing to give up significant prospects to get a big-time asset. I don't feel Bergevin is at that point just yet where he's saying, you know what, I will put Ryan Paling in a trade to get this big-time player. I don't see him making a move of significance. I don't see – and I think he's learned – I think he's, he's a little gun-shy now with free agency after the Carl Alsner move. And I think after the Sebastian Ajo thing, I don't see him going the offer sheet route again. So I, I, have, I have reason to believe that he's probably done. And uh, if, if nothing else, he may get like another free agent who's good for the AHL. But uh, I mean, it's not as if they have a ton of room to play with in terms of their cap space right now. I agree with Julian. I don't think an offer sheet's going to happen. But when you get the rumors as heavy as they were surrounding Patrick Laine, until he signs a deal with Winnipeg, oh, I'm not convinced that Mark Bergevin is done. I don't think he'll trade for Mitch Marner. I don't think he'll trade for Braden Point. But you don't hear anything about Liney and Winnipeg uh, on a contract. And obviously, Winnipeg has a few other restricted free agents as well. So I, I don't know if he's done. I, I tend to agree with Julian where he probably won't do anything. But until everything else is figured out around the league, just because there's no whispers doesn't mean Bergevin is done. If Bergevin lands Patrick Line, that changes everything for this team. And that's not to say he doesn't do it. <laughs> I think it's just, I think if you're a Canadian fan, I think if you've been following this team for how many years, you should be past the point of hearing speculation and just being like, you know what, just do something. Because it's happened so often. Where Mark Bergevin. <laughs> that, 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 that's, why, that's why I felt about July that's 1st. It. Is after, after the Andrew Shaw trade, uh, I, I think that many of us thought that, okay, something big is going to happen on July 1st. And, I mean, you can argue about whether the offer sheet was big or not. I, I mean, I mean that was a big move, but it amounted to nothing in the end of it thing, right? Uh, they don't have the player. They have the cap space. They, they did use some of it uh, for, for a couple of players. But I really felt that after the Andrew Shaw trade, like, okay, they're gearing up for something. They have 12 picks in 2020. Something's got to give. And and then nothing happened anyway. So it, it'll be interesting to see. But so let's let's assume that Mark Bergman does nothing, or, or does very you know minimal things from here until the season starts. Is this team good enough for the playoffs? Nope. It will be a bubble team again. Uh, on the other hand, if if it, it comes down to one or two players, Blackonen, Kotkaniemi, um, will he have a sophomore slump? Uh, Will Price be back at his top level, etc.? How how is is there going to be a decline with Weber? But it's a bubble team. If, if some of these things break Canadians' way, yeah, they they're in the playoffs. But I can't say for sure that they are in the playoffs with how the team looks right now. The Canadians have Carey Price in net, so that means they have a chance 
in every game that they play, which means they have a chance at making the playoffs. But I, I tend to agree with Patrick. This doesn't strike me as a team that is going to be comfortably in a division spot. This strikes me as a team that is going to be fighting for, for a playoff berth. And you know what? At this point, uh, considering what we've seen from, from teams in the past, it doesn't matter if you're a division-winning team. It doesn't matter if you're you know second-best seed, whatever. At this point, just get in the playoffs, see if you can make a run, see what you can make of it. I, I think the Canadians could fight for a playoff spot with this roster, but I also... You know that also depends on on Carey Price playing at a top level. Uh, Shea Weber can't be on. I mean, he's been on the on a decline, but he ha- he can't drop off. If he if Shea Weber drops off and is no longer the team, sure, not like the number one or the number two best defenseman, that is a huge problem for this team. Here's something that I've been wondering, and you guys, especially as people who pay attention to prospects and stuff, probably have a better handle on than me. Um, at what point do we need to start, instead of saying we need to go out and get this guy or that guy to play with our veterans, at what point do we say, okay, we need Victor Mete and Noah Juleson and all these defensive prospects that we talk about to be the answer to a hole at defense or an, a hole at forward? At what point do we need to start going, okay, let's put these guys in this situation and let them learn there as opposed to trying to come up with somebody else to be a stopgap? Next year, Romanov is going to be that guy. Yeah, and Romanov might be that guy too. But I, I say, I think essentially when Victor Mete came into the league, that's essentially what happened. And a lot of people, I don't know how people felt about it when I brought this up, but like essentially Victor Mete, it was as, as great of a big deal it was for him to make the lineup out of camp the way that he did. It was essentially only the case because of the fact that Canadians did not have a player in that position who could play with Shea Weber. So Victor Mete essentially got thrown into the fire and he's done relatively well uh, in considering and he may be penciled in as the number one left side defenseman coming into training camp this year so i think for victor mete that's definitely already happened for a player like noah Juleson and some of the other younger players it's just a matter of of the way that roster is kind of built right now right right kulak and jeff petrie probably gonna play with each other you have christian fullen who came in uh, late last year uh ben Sh- ben chariot who uh, i gotta make sure i don't bungle his name uh, for future pronunciation riley is still there you have a lot of veteran defensemen on this team who you can use as stopgaps just in case. So I feel like there's not a lot of room for you to just think, oh, hey, you know what? Let's let Noah Juleson kind of just fight for his own for 20, 25-odd games. And you know what? Sometimes it's just better to just have them sink or swim in the AHL before you you bring them back up into the NHL. Yeah, I think that Victor Mete specifically, where – you know, two years ago, he might have not been ready and was the default measure. I think now there's enough evidence to say he, he's kind of earned that spot because they've tried other people and they haven't done as well as Victor Mete has. And and Mete has been a different player since his seven-game AHL stint. And I'm really curious to see what he does this season after a full off season again and, and a third uh, NHL season. But to, to the way this roster is constructed, is that, yes, there are options, and Julian alluded to this, there are options, but they're not blocking anybody. If Josh Brook passes Christian Foline or Mike Riley on the death chart, there's no harm in losing Christian Foline or Mike Riley. That's true. If, you know, if Ryan Paling or Nick Suzuki prove to be better than Jordan Wheel and Nate Thompson and, and Nick Cousins and guys like that, there's no harm in you know, making those guys healthy scratch. We saw it with, with Pekka last year. 
where he was passed on the death chart and who Charles Houdon as well passed on the death chart and just were was there. You know, the, the competition works both ways where, you know, they're there as kind of insurance, but there's nothing, no one's blocking anybody. Nate Thompson's not blocking Ryan Paling. If Ryan Paling is better than Nate Thompson and they played a fourth line, you know, 13 minutes a night instead of just, you know, eight, nine, 10, then Ryan Paling will play in that spot. The same thing with Nick Suzuki. If Nick Suzuki is better than, you know, Nick Cousins or Jordan Wheel or or players like that, Nick Suzuki will play. So in a way, it kind of is up to the prospects to kind of have that opportunity. Um, and, you know, Josh Brook and Kale Fleury are two guys who could conceivably pass Noah Jolson this year based on what happens. You know, Josh Brook is somebody who is somebody to watch in training camp. Otto Leskinen is a guy to watch at training camp because these are guys who if they're given an opportunity can earn their spot and, and it, it does become the play i don't think anybody other than you know maybe 14 15 players are locked into their positions with the canadians that leaves you know five six spots on the roster for guys who impress in camp nobody thought Jesperi Kutkiniemi was going to make this team out of training camp what happened thomas plakanis basically got released because of it. Jacob De La Rose got waived because of it. Nobody was expecting that. And that's exactly what happened. You know, Pekka played, you know, a handful of games because of it. So I think that training camp is going to be a huge indicator. And and I'm going to use it to segue into the top 25 under 25 a little bit, because what this means is that there's going to be guys who are going to come out of nowhere. Last year, it was Romanov to a certain extent. The year, uh, you know, even Kotkaniemi came out of nowhere. No one thought, no one thought he was an NHL player at this point last year. Nobody. So you have guys like Suzuki and Paling who can become NHL players. You have guys like Brook and Flurry and Jolson and Mete who, on, in a, you know, two years ago probably would have been NHL players on this team. And now they're going to have to fight for, for, you know, one or two spots. And it's going to be really fun to watch. And, and that's what prospect depth gives you is that you don't, uh, if Noah Jolson doesn't work out, if, if he doesn't work out, it doesn't matter because they have Flurry and Brook who are right there as well. The only thing you guarantee yourself when you have a lot of prospects is that a few of them are going to work out. You're not be- you're not, you don't need Noah Jolson specifically to work out. You don't need specific players to work out. You just need one of them or, or two of them preferably <laughs> to work out. And I think that's the way Montreal is going this year is that Nick Suzuki and Ryan Paling don't need to be in the NHL this year. And that's fine. And, and next year they come out and there'll be one year better and Laval will be really good if they play in Laval all year. But you know, you don't need those guys, but if they prove themselves, they're not going to be blocked. That's a fair point. And that's a very fair point that you bring it up that way. I've just obviously the fact that Mark Bergerman has those like young players has those older players in place, uh, you know, more stop gaps for them and and all that. It's a very good point to bring it up that way. It's just a matter of just seeing which of those players kind of come up, and it's kind of a, a good position to have uh, since that Cook and Yemi draft where they draft all those centers and they're trying to draft all those defensive players. MB realizes that uh, with those young players, it's just good to have that base of actually talented players who can actually come up and do well and i can't think of another year uh you know being around this team where so many people got so excited 
about watching games in Laval and see who's going to be up there this year. You see a paling and Suzuki in the lineup? I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, you look at the top 25 under 25, and you have guys like Alan McShane, who is quite honestly probably a forgotten prospect when you look when you consider Kotkaniemi, Paling, and Suzuki and all those guys. Alan McShane is being invited to Team Canada's summer camp for the World Juniors. In previous years, a guy invited to a camp at the World Juniors is like our top prospect. You know, Charles Houdon was a 13 forward, and he was, we were like, yeah. Or, you know, Guillaume Latendresse, same thing. He, you know, he was a 13 forward. We're like, yeah, we got somebody on the team. And, and now we have somebody invited to camp, and we're like, oh, yeah, he's like our eighth best center prospect. <laughs> and it's just, it, it's that that's how hard the top 25 under 25 is this year. And Patrick alluded to it earlier. Um, there's there's guys who are in the 30s that I think have legitimate NHL chances. And that's just not something that happened in previous years. Well, it's also nice to have this discussion and we're saying, oh, they'll get their looks. Whereas in previous years, especially with Terrian, we didn't, obviously we didn't have this kind of depth when he was around, but we had guys where we were like, why isn't he playing so-and-so? Like so-and-so has proved in limited minutes that they're better than whoever's playing ahead of them and they're not getting a chance to play. Like we have a system now where we've seen that if you earn your spot, you earn your spot, regardless of whether you're a veteran or a rookie. We've seen that these guys get their chances now, which is already such a big shift from the previous era, I guess, that like we can actually say, oh, this is a possibility that could happen. Yeah, in previous years, Dale Weiss would be blocking Ryan Paling and Nick Suzuki. Yeah. But in, in, this, in this era... There's, there's almost no chance of that happening. We're all assuming that he goes to the AHL. And, and yeah, that's definitely part of the, the part that's encouraging. Yeah, you guys are right. This top 25 under 25 thing is, like, really hard. Not just considering the fact that there are so many talented prospects in the system. I think Scott actually kind of caught, brought this up a couple of days ago. I'm kind of surprised at how many guys are, like, already in the NHL who are already doing, like, super well. And you have to figure out where they rank. And all of this as well. And I think the fact that there's so much promise for a lot of these players, I mean, a lot of things could change. Uh, it makes it very difficult to kind of rank the top 25. I don't think it's ever been this hard. I think number one, I think figuring out who number one is is easy, but it's everyone else down. That's kind of like, all right. It's a survivor of sorts when you come to training camp this year. We saw it with, with Placanich, as, as you highlighted. I hadn't thought about it that way, but... Uh, uh, and Kotkaniemi last year, but it will be more spots up for grabs. Uh, and also, some of these players won't need um, waivers to go down to Laval, so it wouldn't actually surprise me if you keep one up and and just, I mean, like Paling's uh, contract is 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 already counting anyway, so it doesn't matter if it's nine games or or forty nine games or or whatever it is. So so you can have him there, and then when he will get into a slump, which I would presume anyway, because it's it's a tough season, it's a lot of travel, different physical play, and he won't score a hat-trick every game. You know, then you can bring up the next guy. So you can at least have one guy on the roster. You, you mentioned guys in Laval, and we haven't even mentioned Jake Evans, Lucas Vedemo, who were low-key fourth-center targets last year in training camp. So I think that obviously Evans got hurt, and that ruined his chance of making the team, but... Um, this is going to be the first camp that we're going to have Jake Evans, you know, have a real chance. Lucas Vedemo is going to get a, a, a probably a, a better look than he was last year. These are all guys who have NHL potential, legitimate NHL potential. If you haven't already voted on the top 25 under 25, 
just go to HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Uh, the article is going to be there. You can submit your ballot. The audience, uh, our readers do get votes, and they do count. Uh, so make sure you have your say. You can compare it to the list um, and, and our list afterwards as well. So please do that. But yeah, we, we want to hear your feedback. Obviously, let us know what you want to hear. We, we mentioned Eyes on the Prize Radio off the top. If there's anything you want to see more of, uh, any podcast you want us to, to focus on, let us know. Our, our Twitter handle has changed to at EOTP underscore radio. So let us know. Write a comment on, this, uh, on the article. Uh, we'll be back next week when we'll probably have the top 25 under 25 starting. Hopefully, we'll have a little bit more news. My name is Jared Buck. Thank you, Namiko. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, Patrick, for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next time on Absent Minded.